This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm pumped for this episode. There's probably no more exciting topic in the Equity Mates community at the moment than hydrogen. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to be honest, I don't know a lot about it. So I'm excited for this interview because I feel we're going to learn a lot and be a lot more informed by the end of it. Thanks for your honesty. I also <laughs> I also don't know a lot about it, so equally as excited. This episode is in celebration of ETF Securities' latest hydrogen ETF, HGNN, and we have an expert joining us today to really help us unpack the industry. It is our great pleasure to welcome Dr. Fiona Simon to Equity Mates. Fiona, welcome. Hi, lovely to be here. So Dr. Fiona Simon is the CEO of the Australian Hydrogen Council, which is a peak body for Australia's hydrogen industry with members from across the hydrogen value chain. So today we're going to be unpacking it um, from a basic level, having a chat about Australia's opportunity and then also the future of hydrogen. So Fiona, if we, if we start at the top and uh, a lot of us are very unfamiliar with hydrogen, so we've got to ask the question, why hydrogen? Well, that's, that's the absolute first and best question. <laughs> great. <laughs> that's great. So hydrogen really has this fundamental role to play to support renewable electricity and batteries for us to move to decarbonising our whole economy. Hydrogen basically is us saving electricity in a molecular form. Much like current liquid fuels or, or, or fossil fuel gas, uh, methane, we have a molecular form for that energy and it actually means that you can then transport uh, energy over very long distances. You can transport it not only through space but also through time. You can you can store it for long periods without losing the energy value. So first of all, where it makes sense to electrify things and you know the economics work, the engineering works, we absolutely support the, the lowest cost way of getting to, to net zero to decarbonize the economy. But there are areas where using renewable electricity straight from the farm or straight from the grid or using batteries doesn't work so well. These are the areas where having energy in a sort of molecular, clean molecular form allows you to do more. The first sort of big examples that come to mind here are things like shipping and aviation. These are not uses that you obviously you don't 
plug them in. Uh, and the batteries in that kind of use can actually um, just be infeasible or can, can reduce payload to such a degree that, that you wouldn't actually be able to use those forms of transportation. So that's where hydrogen comes into its own because it's a, a means of being able to decarbonise these really hard to abate parts of our economy. And it extends to things like you know green cement, uh, green iron, and green steel. There are really high temperature processes and areas where, in fact, existing uses for hydrogen are there, but it's sort of the, the fossil fuel version. And if we convert this to the green version of hydrogen, we can decarbonise heavy industry as well. When we generate renewable electricity from solar farms or wind turbines, it's sort of a use it or lose it situation. You, you use the electricity or you lose it unless you store it. Now, battery storage has some use cases, but it's not really where it needs to be in terms of being able to provide, you know, like the scale that we need. And where hydrogen comes in, it's it's the opportunity to store that energy, transport it and use it when and where we need it in the future? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. With electricity generation, you need to be able to use it sort of almost instantaneously. And with batteries, you know, there's a huge benefit, but they don't last forever. Uh, the energy will leak away or you do end up with sort of enormous weights of battery, which will reduce the efficiency of things like, you know, as I said, ships and heavy trucks and things like that. So that's where hydrogen as a as a means of storing renewable electricity energy in its in its molecular form does allow you to then have that you know, through space and time version of taking your energy. So there's plenty of debate around brown hydrogen, blue hydrogen and green hydrogen. What's your view on the different types of options to generate hydrogen? Much like electricity, hydrogen is something which we manufacture and you can it's an energy carrier. So there's different ways of making our hydrogen from different sources. It's those different ways that then get denoted by these colours. The brown hydrogen option, or you'll hear black hydrogen or grey hydrogen, so these sort of duller, duller colours <laughs> tend to get associated with the traditional way of making hydrogen we do make it right now for industrial purposes which is using fossil fuels and so you are there are emissions associated with the making of those those duller colors and so we make it from coal and from and from natural gas what we're all talking about about this future for hydrogen the the hydrogen economy the means to decarbonize our, our economy is when we're talking about making green hydrogen or, or clean hydrogen. So this is where much like we can make electricity from coal or we can make it from renewables. In this case, we, we, if we use renewable electricity and water through a process called electrolysis, you can actually make hydrogen, which is, you know, we, we call it green hydrogen, and it is pretty much zero emissions. Mm. The clean version is sort of a bit the same as the blue version, and blue hydrogen is when you're making it with fossil fuels, but then you've actually used something like carbon capture use and storage or offsets so that the, the end result is a net zero one, but there was carbon um, involved in the making of the hydrogen. Mm. Mm. So... It's a hugely uh, contested space right now as to where does the future lie with the, you know, with the different colours. We absolutely are talking about the long term being green, but there's a debate about whether you need the blue version, so, so hydrogen made, say, from natural gas but with CCS, but whether you need that as a bridging mechanism to get you to scale for green, and that's, being, and that's highly contested at the moment. Mm. 
Just to be clear, though, we know hydrogen actually doesn't have a colour. It's odourless, it's colourless, everything about it has no colour. There are no, yeah, there are, there's, there's, like, there's purple hydrogen, turquoise hydrogen, there's all sorts of different <laughs> versions of hydrogen that people are talking about globally that denote how it's made. But at every point, it's, it's just the actual hydrogen and you can't tell by looking at it. <laughs> Important clarification there. So, Fiona, as CEO of the Australian Hydrogen Council, I guess you'd, you'd have a really good view of what's happening in Australia, but also how that compares to the world. So we'd love to hear what your view is on Australia's hydrogen industry, um, Australia's hydrogen policy settings, and how that compares, I guess, to the, the rest of the world in terms of the adoption of this hydrogen opportunity? We're doing pretty well. So Australia's right up there in terms of the sort of commitment that we've seen from our federal government and our states and our territories. Uh, I mean, there's over $1.1 billion of funding that's been announced by the federal government and you know, well over $300 million worth of funding that's been announced by the states and territories. Everyone's pretty excited uh, about the role that Australia can play globally in hydrogen because of our renewable energy. We're really being seen as being a potential leader, um, if not globally, at least in our region, to potentially you know, export vast amounts of hydrogen to countries that don't have that ability to make their own hydrogen. And so we have a hydrogen strategy, which identified those opportunities, which came in November 2019. There's the low emissions technology roadmap that came out last year where it covers hydrogen among other things. And you might hear about the phrase H2 under two, which is this idea that we're trying to get to scale to get the price of hydrogen less to less than $2 a kilogram. So we're right up there in terms of those sorts of announcements, which is great. There's still a lot more to do though. And I think that's, you know, globally, that's what everyone's tackling because a billion dollars sounds like a lot of money and obviously it is. But what we're talking about here in, in getting to this scale in, in actually having a truly sort of net zero energy system really will involve enormous investment. And really, a lot of that's even before you, you get near the hydrogen. It's the renewable electricity that's going to be required to, to you know, even just take coal out of our, out of our networks let alone to, you know, to charge our cars of the future um, and then let alone for us to, say, you know, develop a green steel industry and export steel overseas. So we're talking, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of investment that's required. Everyone's upping the ante across the world. So the US announced $9.5 billion US for hydrogen last month. And that was within an, an, a, a much, much larger, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars announcement about you know, transitioning and what that means for the economy. The UK has done something similar. They are looking at, at aggressive and ambitious targets for creating hydrogen themselves. And we're competing also as an export nation with countries that also have land and also have sun and also have wind. Mm. Um, so Saudi Arabia and Morocco, Chile and Portugal, everyone's you know, stepping up and wanting to compete in this new potential global industry. We'll see the geopolitics of energy will, will change. We still have a lot further to go, which is why we, the Australian Hydrogen Council, uh, we've just put out a white paper at the start of the, the week where we are arguing where we need to put some some more policy and investment focus in Australia in order to have a no regrets you know a no regrets approach to hydrogen and net zero more broadly
Now, Fiona, you mentioned uh, export there a couple of times, and I think that's a really important part of this conversation to uh, delve deep on because, you know, hydrogen traditionally has been quite unstable to transport. You know, people think of, when people think of hydrogen, they think of maybe the Hindenburg, uh, but technology has come a long way from there in terms of making hydrogen stable to transport. And a lot of that's been led by Australian researchers and the CSIRO. So can you explain uh, how technology has sort of moved and allowed this opportunity to export to arise? And then maybe talk to us about what the what the size of the opportunity is here. What, what could it mean for Australia if we capitalise on this export opportunity? Essentially, we still haven't cracked this nut of how we're going to export hydrogen. So that, again, is an area which is, is, is up for grabs. It's being addressed by a number of different parties. And generally, the view seems to be right now that if you were to export hydrogen, you would export it in its, in its derivative as ammonia. That's something where people already know how to transport it. Um, it has its challenges also. But ammonia is something which, which you know, can be transported. Um, it's a known quantity. When we're talking about transporting hydrogen in its pure form um, over very large distances, so those sort of international distances, people tend to talk about hydrogen being shipped in, in, in a liquid form. Now, the only way to really transport hydrogen um, over long distances is to compress it, compress it and compress it because it's very light and to get that value, you need it in its most sort of concentrated form. But compressing that hydrogen to the point where it's turned from a gas into a liquid is enormously costly in terms of the energy that's required um, and the energy, therefore, that you're losing from, from that which you were seeking to you know, uh, capitalise on because you've got to compress it down to, to cryogenic temperatures. So there is work going on about, well, can there be a means of transporting hydrogen at cryogenic temperatures over vast distances, but that's something which is still in its early days. But we've actually got a, a world-leading experiment in that space or, or a trial in that space in Victoria, which is the, the hydrogen uh, energy supply chain, which is something which uh, is making actually blue hydrogen. But the real focus of this is, is for the Japanese uh, working with Australia to look at the, the vessel that would transport that liquid hydrogen. But that's still in a reasonably small amount and it's on the basis of trying to understand how does this work. So there are multiple ways of thinking about it. Uh, we also have a member that is uh, talking about and, and, and really developing a business case for compressed, um, compressed hydrogen as a gas and they develop the ship and they have the full supply chain. So right now it's a bit of a race that's on between different parties with different economic, technological and engineering solutions and and this solution if, if there was one solution right now it's not clear what that is um, and it may be in fact that there are multiple solutions for different purposes so fiona are there any countries that you think are you know the gold standard when it comes to hydrogen policy i have to say no it Great. varies <laughs> we have an opportunity <laughs> then <laughs> well we, we do we do i think um well, we look at the Japanese and they actually have a plan. So it's like, you know, we will hit this many fuel cell electric vehicles and this many refueling stations. 
by this date. Yeah. That sort of set of targets is vital. So if I was to sort of cherry pick um, across the country, across the globe, what are others doing well that we don't do, it would be targets and standards. And some countries are doing that. In other cases, it's, you know, the US with its uh, you know, equivalent to $13 billion Australian that it announced, the $9.5 billion. That That's showing an assessment of scale that starts to give the market some comfort about how big this is and and the sort of, you know, that for those government dollars that get invested, that then draws through three to four times as much from the private sector. So I'd say that there's no one out there who's doing it, who's doing a great job across all criteria, or rather it's not about not doing a great job, but, but as in highly advanced or beyond where we are, it is just a matter of of observing closely where countries can both state a target, state some milestones, and then match that talk with the walk on funding and a recognition of infrastructure investment. That's what we need. And the countries that sort of get cracking in that space are the ones that will, will actually take the lead because they're doing what they need to do to start markets. Now, Fiona, we're an investing podcast here and, you know, investing by its nature is looking uh, into the future and I guess trying to make some predictions about where the world is going. And, you know, we're seeing right now in 2021, you know, a lot of governments investing in the space, a lot of commitments being made around adoption of hydrogen and a lot of companies getting very interested in the hydrogen space. I mean, no more notable in Australia than Fortescue and what and what they're looking to do in the space. Mm. If you think forward, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, can you give us a sense of what role hydrogen could be playing, not just in Australia, but across the world in terms of the world's energy mix? We might, we might need to even go further than that. But so 10 years is when we're, we've really established a foundation and that foundation may actually look quite different from then another 20 years from there where there's not only a foundation but we've really built upon that and established entire markets. And some of these opportunities are also really long-lived. So when we're talking about green iron and green steel and the idea of Australia upping its its exports in that space and making it green using hydrogen, it's really been identified that those opportunities will be hitting around 2050. But we, there's so much that needs to happen, that needs to start happening now in order to be ready for that, in order to get the milestones organised to that point. So if I, in fact, go to 2050, 2060 and say, what does the world look like then? Because that's kind of the future state we are talking about then what we would have is is hydrogen or hydrogen derivatives, as I said, ammonia, or you could have methanol or sin fuels that are made using hydrogen. They'll be running our planes. They'll be fueling all of our international air and maritime transport. It's likely to be managing uh, particularly like mining truck kind of heavy transport road trains in Australia. And ideally, it'll actually be down to the sort of the van and the truck level and the buses because we've you know, managed to get the infrastructure in place to close the economic gaps in um, those fronts. So at the very least, we'd see that we've got this sort of transportation fuels opportunity, but we'd also be using it, uh, as I said, in, in industry. So we, we could have a, a booming ammonia industry that's based on clean hydrogen, so that's fertiliser for the world's agriculture. It's the green steel piece, it's alumina um, and aluminium. And ideally, you know, we, we get to the stage where we could be using hydrogen for uh, sort of medium process heating. 
but that's yet to be determined as to really where where the technology and where the engineering and the economics go. If you could estimate, how large do you think that this market could be for hydrogen, both Australia and globally? Like, what, what would you guess the size of the economic opportunity to be or estimate the size to be? The National Hydrogen Strategy, I think it was $26 billion a year GDP by 2050 coming from this industry. But you'll see numbers that are much larger than that. Mm. Essentially, this is there are so many different ways this could unfold, but the opportunities really are enormous. But we have to then match match that with a bit of a down payment now, and that's mm. the challenge. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope that we do not miss this opportunity. It feels like Australia is uh, has it right in front of us to take advantage of, of um, this growing industry and and yeah, I think if it would be great to see Australia become the Saudi Arabia of renewables. So, yes, <laughs> Dr. Simon, Dr. Simon, we very much appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your insights into what is a fascinating industry. And I'm sure our Equity Mates community took a lot of value from that. So, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As we have done in uh, our previous episode with ETF Securities, we're now joined by Kanish Chug, who is the Head of Distribution at ETF Securities Australia, to help us unpack a bit more about the opportunity that the uh, ETF Securities Hydrogen ETF presents. Kanish, welcome to Equity Mates. No, thanks for having me again. So uh, you guys have recently released a new ETF tracking the global hydrogen industry. It's called ETFS Hydrogen ETF. The ASX code is HGEN. HGEN provides exposure to the hydrogen economy, including things like fuel cells, electrolyzers, refueling stations, and green hydrogen. And we've just heard how interesting an industry this is going to the future. So let's start at the top. Why, why create a hydrogen ETF, Kanish? You know, what sort of insights led you and the team to believe that this was an important theme to give investors exposure to? Yeah, what we found when talking to clients, when getting feedback and just when, when looking globally as well, so something that we do when developing a new ETF is, one, from an ETF security standpoint, we want to find innovative, you know, we want to come out with exposure that, you know, are unique to the market and also are something that people would like to see. When thinking about clean technology, thinking about, you know, net zero emissions, there's a lot of talk, you know, in the public around that from governments. And I, I know whenever ScoMo talks about, getting to sort of net zero or, or that focus, he always talks about technology. So if you think about, you know, the clean energy technology, what what, what does that look like? How can people invest in it? So we, we know 
you know, we've got ACDC as one of our ETFs that gives investors exposure to battery tech. And so that, that sort of that area of clean technology. So we've always got sort of an eye already. And hydrogen for us was where it's where battery technology was maybe five, 10 years ago. So the hydrogen mega trend, you know, hydrogen as an energy source, it's old. It's a very old source of energy. But what's new about it is green hydrogen. So the idea that you can potentially produce a form of energy that has a zero footprint and that can really expand into not only from a consumer aspect, so, you know, helping fuel airplanes and ships, but also from an agricultural perspective, so even from an industrial construction area and doing steel mills, et cetera. So, you know, hydrogen is often called the Swiss army knife of decarbonisation because as an energy source that produces no pollution, it can be used in a lot of different ways. So I think that's for us where we see it, and I think there will be sort of more expansion into these sorts of areas around megatrends as well. Swiss army knife of decarbonisation. That's a good line, <laughs> Kanish, and I think that might be the title for uh, this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think when, we, when you think about the hydrogen industry, there's a lot of players and a lot of companies that are looking to play in the space. And I guess that would have presented a real challenge when actually building this ATF and constructing rules for this ATF. And, you know, my mind goes to companies like AGL, one of Australia's biggest coal-fired power station operators that are looking to get into the hydrogen space. And similarly, companies like Fortescue, who are, you know, known as iron ore miners and drive most of their profits from iron ore mining, but are, are looking to invest heavily in hydrogen. So when you were confronted with, you know, this industry and this challenge and trying to build an ATF around it, where did you land in terms of rules? You know, do these companies have to be pure play hydrogen companies or can they be companies like Fortescue that are just making meaningful investments in the space? Where did you land in constructing the ATF? Investors are trying to find the you know, when you're picking a thematic or that wanting to invest in a mega trend, what are some of the rules that they should abide by? And and one of those rules is ensuring that the ETF that they've chosen represents the thematic that they want exposure to or the mega trend that they want exposure to. So when we're building ETFs such as HGen, we want to make sure it's as pure of play as possible. In theory, you could build a, a, an ETF on hydrogen and just say, well, any company involved in hydrogen in some way should be included, but that's not really a pure play on the hydrogen thematic because you've got companies, as you mentioned, such as Fortescue or Agile or whatever it may be, it could be a very minute part of their total revenue that is focused on hydrogen. So for us, we worked with Solactive. Now, Solactive is a you know, global index manager. And the index that HGen is tracking, it's the Selective Global Hydrogen ESG Index. So which at a high level is a portfolio of 30 stocks from developed markets plus Korea and Taiwan that have a heavy exposure to hydrogen. But to get to that point, it's really difficult. So with a lot of thematics, it's very hard to just go, okay, I'm going to just find, you know, as I mentioned, there's no classification of a hydrogen company because when you think about the hydrogen economy, it's from fuel cells manufacturers to, you know, the equipment manufacturers that are involved in the processing, you know, the electrolyzers. So the zapping of water to split out the oxygen and the hydrogen to even, you know, when you think about the refueling stations or the infrastructures, there's all these different types of companies involved. So what Solactive did was they looked at how do they identify companies involved in the hydrogen economy 
they've got this tool that they've developed called Artis, and it's basically a natural language processing algorithm, so like an AI tool that does, you know, looks at keywords and it uses that keywords that describe the index theme. So identify companies and rank them on a score based on that artist technology that have a significant exposure to hydrogen. So that's the first step. So one, it's defining the universe. So they've done that using that sort of artist tool. And then the next step is, well, we don't want companies in there that are potentially focused on brown or gray hydrogen which is the fossil fuel companies so we want those removed so any company that is sort of an oil coal or gas company is not in this index you also remove companies such as auto part manufacturers or you know oil and refining um, and marketing oil oil field services and equipments for example we don't want those we want this to be a pure play on the thematic and then as a final step, we've actually looked at it from a perspective of applying an ESG filter as well. So that just adds another safeguard for, from where we sat to ensure that there's no sort of more fossil fuel companies, any company that's non-compliant with that United Nations Global Compact. That was really important for us. So you get to this basically a portfolio of 30 names, but then we've taken it a step further. And you mentioned it in your question about pure plays, and I think that's really important. According to you know Solactive, they've identified companies that are pure play in the hydrogen theme and non-pure plays. And so a pure play has a 10% limit on how much weight it can have in the stock. And a non-pure play is a company that can have a 4% stock limit. So if it's a fuel cell equipment and tech provider or thermal and chemical processing machinery makers, essentially companies that are really involved in the hydrogen economy, they're pure plays. And so, again, it, it, the index, you know, lends itself to really providing investors with a pure idea on what is the hydrogen thematic. It's not going to include, for example, Tesla is not in the index. That's a battery company. Even if there was some linkage in some way, it's not in there. There's no Australian names at the moment. So something like Fortescue does, doesn't feature in. But if Fortescue and hydrogen became a bigger part of the revenue and it, it could feature in, well, then, yes, potentially it could. Kanish, just coming off the conversation with, we had with Fiona, there's no doubt hydrogen seems like a particular opportunity for Australia. But then I guess that begs the question, why adopt a global focus for this ETF? I think the reason when we're looking at thematics, we want it to be sector agnostic. We want it to be country agnostic. The reason being is if you focus just on a particular country or a particular sector, you're excluding a lot. There isn't enough also from an Australian perspective to be pure plays in the hydrogen space in a listed form as well, and that, that's important. You know, there's also minimum market caps that a stock has to get to before they could be featured in the index, and that's US $100 million. So even if there was some smaller companies that are involved in the hydrogen economy as their focus, they have to hit those those limits, those minimum sort of liquidity requirements. And you know, currently, unfortunately, there isn't just enough Australian companies to make a portfolio to represent the hydrogen economy. Yeah. So for us, we wanted to look at it from a global perspective. We didn't want to look at it just from developed markets, which is why it's expanded it to include Korea and Taiwan, because you know they are some you know heavily focused companies within the hydrogen space, especially from the fuel cell and the tech area that are from Taiwan and Korea. So it includes all developed markets plus Korea and Taiwan. So we look, as I said, it could be in the future that we have some Australian names in there. As it stands, 
you know, with the fund just launching, there is currently no Australian company in there. Yeah, hopefully you do have some Australian names because that will be indicative that Australia has got its act together and really worked to create a hydrogen industry. If we keep our focus global, Kanish, and we talk about some of the biggest companies in this ETF, uh, what are some of the biggest holdings? You know, what do they do? What should we know about them? Why should we be excited about them? Yeah, so a lot of the biggest holdings, of so of the 30, for example, when I looked at, it's companies like Plug Power. So Plug Power is probably the famous name in the hydrogen economy space. It primarily makes the fuel cells that's used to turn hydrogen into energy. It's an American company. It's got about a 9% weight in the portfolio. And their fuel cells are mainly used in very niche areas like electric forklifts. You know, some of their top customers include Walmart, Home Depot, Amazon. But the good thing with this company is it's actually trying to expand along the value chain. It's acquiring green hydrogen producers as well. So they're sort of growing in that space. So that's what, what one of the, the most well-known some of the others in sort of the top five include Ballard Power Systems, ITM Power, Doosan Fuel Cell. So I've just named, by the way, a UK company, a South Korean company, a Canadian company, and Plug being a US company. So again, globally diverse. It's a company called Nell. It's Nell ASA. It's a Norwegian company. It's got its fingers in many, what, what you call the hydrogen pie. It's one of the oldest companies in the world that produces hydrogen from water. So when we're talking about green hydrogen, Nell is one of those companies that have been in this space for a while. They run really large electrolyzer plants in Norway and essentially... The hydrogen that they produce, like green hydrogen, historically has gone to make ammonia, so from the agricultural space. But it now also runs some of the world's largest factories that make hydrogen refueling stations, which tops up, you know, powered buses, cars, etc. But they're also working with Tesla's competitor, Nikola, to produce electrolyzers at its refueling stations. So again, it's widening out that hydrogen infrastructure. So you've got an example there of a fuel cell maker in plug or a company like Nell that works on actually producing the green hydrogen themselves. And that's sort of where we sit in this space. It's not just a particular focus, it's global and it looks at many different areas and there's more than just one area. And that's the thing, you know, when we were thinking about the hydrogen thematic, it's growing in where it sits and it's definitely going to be a a real big force um, to be reckoned with in the future. Do you have any idea how large the future hydrogen industry could be? As a megatrend, we often talk about a megatrend needs to be, it can be classified as a megatrend if it has government support. If you think about the hydrogen space currently, you're starting to see government support. So governments around the world on average have around 11.4 billion US dollars a year that get poured into hydrogen projects and Europe by far is leading that space. And if you want to look at the country that leads in hydrogen, look at Iceland. It's funny, you always look at the Nordics when you think about these sorts of clean technology areas, but Iceland's really leading the pack. Um, it's looking to go fully hydrogen powered by 2030. That, that'll be interesting to see as a case study. But in terms of as an industry and, and where it sits, so Bloomberg Neff, it's a a really useful energy research form, uh, firm, sorry, they forecast that hydrogen takes up about 25% of the energy market by 2050. So that's up about 5% from today. And then to put it into dollar sensors, the hydrogen economy currently is from a revenue basis had about 142 billion in 2019. And it's estimated that it could hit about 4 trillion in revenue by 2050. 
So for all of us, you know, we just launched a semiconductor ETF and a semiconductor ETF is a mature industry. But people say the hydrogen industry right now, it's a greenfield investment opportunity. It's what the internet was in the 90s, you know, what the iPhone was in the early 2000s. That's what hydrogen is at the moment. And where it could end up is, as I said, it could be transformational in terms of helping us all hit that net zero emissions that, you know, now there's a lot more focus on. Well, I certainly love what you guys are doing. I love the concentration in the ETFs that you guys are putting out. Um, you, you mentioned ACDC at the top there and it's been going incredibly well. So, yeah, I think you guys are have your finger on the pulse when it comes to ETFs that are important for our future and um, this is no doubt another great example of that. So absolute pleasure having you on as always, Kanish, and uh, we're looking forward to, to getting you on soon. So as always, appreciate your time, Kanish. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.